Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 is our text today. We're going to look at some things that's been on my heart for the last uh, few weeks. And if, several weeks ago, I read something about being in Christ. And after I read it, I laid it down and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember that and go back and see uh, just kind of how this laid out and, and what they were saying. Well, for the life of me, I couldn't find it. And I still can't find it. What I read, but to put a poster up in adults six and seven in, in the couples class, Don Johnson, the teacher, put it up and I walked in to get ready for a Wednesday night and I looked up and I saw it. And it wasn't the same thing that I read, but it's something that all of a sudden things begin to trigger in my mind. If you read the poster, I'm just going to read to you what it says. Watchman Nee, N-E-E, -E, was a, a Japanese Christian. He was saved uh, when he was uh, a teenager. And Watchman Nee grew uh, in the Lord, and he wrote several books. Uh, he did a lot of preaching, but he died in prison because he was a, a political prisoner, and he died in prison. And Watchman Nee, uh, he had some, some ideas that are a little odd and different from what you and I would believe and uh, said some things that you really have to analyze, but he kept his focus on Christ. Now, here's, here's what this said, and it doesn't take long to read, but it comes from Watchman Nee, and here's what he said. Outside of Christ, I am weak. In Christ, I am strong. Outside of Christ, I cannot. In Christ, I am more than able. Outside of Christ, I have been defeated. In Christ, I am already victorious. Isn't that good? Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever considered what it means for you to be in Christ? Okay, now let me add something to that. Have you ever considered what you have in Christ? You ever thought about it? You know, it's too easy for us today because there are a lot of people that if you ask them, and this is, I rarely do this, but uh, I had to learn it over the years. I never ask anybody, are you a Christian? Because everybody's a Christian. Everybody is. You know, people say, well, I was born in a Christian home, so I'm a Christian. If you were born in a garage, are you a, a Buick? See, that don't jive. Just because you were born in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. My mama was a Christian. So was mine. My daddy was a Christian. So was mine. But I didn't get Christianity from them. I found it for myself. And so must you. So we got people to say, yes, I'm a Christian. Because I live in a Christian nation. Doesn't make you a Christian. So, what we have to understand about this is this. If there's ever been a time in your life 
where you have realized because of the drawing of the Spirit of God that you are separated from God, that you have sinned against God, and the Holy Spirit begins to work in you and convinces you that in faith you can pray and ask Christ to be your Savior. If you have in true faith prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart to forgive you of your sins, you believe that He died on the cross for your sin. You believe that He rose again. And in faith you pray and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you. I'm lost. I'm a sinner. And I'm inviting you, please, Lord, to come into my heart and save me. Be my Lord and be my Savior. When we pray that prayer in faith, according to the Scripture, then we receive Christ. That makes us in Christ. Now, you were born in your family, and that makes you whatever it is by uh, your last name. That's, that's how you came about. You are in that family. I am in the rushing family. Okay? That's why I stay tired all the time. Been rushing all my life. I am in that family. You are not in the family of God unless you receive Christ and are born into that family. Does that make sense to you? We have to receive Christ as our Savior. We have to come and know Him and do it according to the Scripture. Many of you, some of you here, but many people all around our world, they, they struggle with worry and fear. And I can look across this congregation and I can point out several of them to you. Worry, fear. We're living in a time once again where all of this stuff about the COVID is bringing fear to us again. What do we do with that? As we worry... Do we worry because of the fear? Do we have the fears because we worry? Or could it be that we just don't recognize what we have in Christ? Now, we don't have to be ignorant. We don't have to, to just go out and do whatever we want to. You know, it's kind of like somebody that says, you know, I'm not going to die until God gets ready for me, and I'll walk out in front of this truck and show you. And then I'll preach your funeral. You don't tempt God. You and I need to understand who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ. But the question has to be answered first of all. Are you in Christ? If you haven't asked Him to save you, if you haven't asked Him to come into your heart, if you haven't been born again, you are not in Christ. Now that's as plain as I can put it. He will take care of our worries. He'll take care of our fears. You look throughout the New Testament. Everything that we need to live an abundant, overflowing life comes from Christ. He provides the abundance. He provides everything that we need. That's why we don't have to worry and we don't have to uh, be afraid. 
We do the things that we know to do. He gives us enough common sense to take care of ourselves. So now let's stop for a moment. And let's ask ourselves. You ask yourself. What does it mean to you to be in Christ? What does it mean to you to realize the things that we have in Christ? You know, if we're we're really going to understand this. And I've I've got you... uh, Romans 3, and I want you to stay there, but I, I've got to show you another verse of Scripture so that I, th- I think we can bring all of this together. For us to really understand what it means to be in Christ, we first of all need to understand what it means to be without Christ. What does it mean to be without Christ? And when, I, when we read this, you're going to find it never says anything about being a church member. It never says anything about us uh, doing good and, and, and doing different things for different people and all these other things. It never says anything about that. But what it does say to us is that if we are not in Christ, here's what it means to be without Christ. Now, hold your finger in Romans 3. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, let's read verses 11 and 12. You don't have to go very far out of Romans, you'll find Ephesians. Romans, 1st, 2nd, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. I'd sing that song if I could sing. You got it? Ephesians 2, verse 11. Wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, you are called uncircumcision, and it's called a circumcision in the flesh by the hands. Now this is talking about Jew-Gentile relationship. And the Gentiles were referred to as the uncircumcised because they did not go through the ritual of the circumcision, and so they were outcast, according to the Jew. It's talking about that relationship. Paul deals with that on down. But look at verse 12. It's what I want you to see. That at that time, you were without Christ as an outcast in, in the Jewish, but now the new covenant has come. You were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Having no hope and without God in the world. So what does it mean to be without Christ? Understand this. There are only two kinds of people walking around in this world today, dead or alive. Okay? Now you say, how can dead people walk around? All you got to do is turn the TV on. Here they come. All these dead people walking around. But you, you walk by dead people all the time. And I'm talking about spiritually dead. People have no concept of God. They, they think that they have. They think that they know. And then many of them don't even care. So because they are spiritually dead, then they're heading towards a grave down a wide road that Jesus described in Matthew chapter 7. And that wide road, he says, leads them to their destruction. So you're dead. There are only two kinds of people. You're either dead without Christ or alive in Christ. You are dead in this world. Saying I, everything that I have, everything that I need is right here in this world. But the thing is, if you're not in Christ, you have nothing to take with you. And you'll suffer. Because you lived in the world and not in Christ. And this is very simple. Now listen, you're either saved or you're lost. 
That's the only kind of people that are on this earth. You're saved or you're lost. One of the two. And you can't mix them. You have to receive Christ. That's according to the scriptures, what it says. You are one or the other. So ask yourself, am I dead spiritually without Christ? Or am I alive in Christ because I've been born again into the family of God? Are you saved or are you lost without Christ? What does it mean to be without Christ? First thing is, and this is very simple, to be without Christ means that you are Christless. There's there's no Christ in you, which brings us to a point. We have no one to pray to. If you are without Christ, you have no one to hear your prayer. You have no one to intercede before God for you. You have no one to defeat the enemy that comes against you. You have no one that is able to see you through the struggles of life. You You don't have any help. You don't have a relationship. When things get bad and things get down and all of a sudden we just think everything is falling apart. We don't have a family to go to. We go to our own, our physical family and they say, I don't know. I don't know. Or they give us advice and it doesn't work out. I don't know. I've got good news for you. If you want to be in Christ, you'll have a father in heaven and you will be an heir with Jesus Christ. We will be adopted children into the family of God. And folks, when I've got trouble, I've got a father that has the answer. But without that, you are Christless. No relationship. There's no intimacy with you and God. The second thing he said, you are homeless. Homeless. In that passage, did you see it? We were without Christ. We're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We have no one to worship. We have no place to worship. We have no one that we can call on. We have no place that we can gather and and feed from the fellowship of the people of God. And because of that, we are alone. You're alone in this world without Christ. Oh, you may have people that gather around you. But you see, friends come and friends go. And some people want to be your friend because of what they can get out of you. Or what they can do or whatever it might be. But when you and I realize that without Christ, we have no home. You have no place in heaven. Oh, victory in Jesus. I heard about a mansion. He has built for me in glory. Only to those who are in Christ. You're Christless. You're homeless. Now, this, this next word that I'm going to use, it's, it's not a word according to the dictionary, but according to Norman's dictionary, it is. Are you ready? We are promiseless. Okay, now don't go to school or go find an English teacher and tell them that because they'll correct you right quick. But you understand what I'm saying. We are promiseless. We have no share. What he's talking about is no share in the promise of Abraham. The Gentiles could not share in that because they were aliens. They were separated. They were were, uh, Gentiles. They, They were heathens. And so because of that, they had no promise to share. But now, Paul said, there's a new covenant. And the new covenant brings you a father who gives us a promise in His Son, Jesus Christ. And thus we become in Christ, not without Him. So we are promiseless. The next thing he says is, we are hopeless. Now you know what that means? 
when it says we are hopeless, that means that you are drowning when there's no need because you have no water. You have no bread because Jesus is the one that quenches our thirst. Jesus is the bread of life. You have no future. All you've got is what you can see down this road. And you come to the end of that. And when you die, there's nothing left. Except darkness and pain and suffering. Separating yourself from Almighty God. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I've been at this nearly 40 years. And I've watched a lot of people die. Now listen. There's a difference in someone that dies in Christ and someone that dies without Christ. And I've seen both of them. Don't be promiseless and don't live hopeless. Don't starve yourself to death. Jesus wants to give you life. And then lastly, we're godless. There's no Jehovah. There's no I am that can do all of these things. We have no father that we can go home to. No father that wants to receive us. There's no heaven. Only hell. There's no heaven for us. No mansion built. No streets of gold. No gates of pearl. No walls of all the beautiful stones. There's no rejoicing because there's no heaven. Because we are without Christ. You see the difference? Now, I want to read one word to you in the 13th verse of of Ephesians. If you're still there, you can read it. If you're not, just stay right there because I'm coming back. Verse 13. But all of you that are without Christ, in Christ, you who sometimes were far off are made near by the blood of Christ, but makes a difference. Now look at verse 21 of Romans 3. Look at how he starts this out. He's been talking about the law and how the law has robbed us. But in verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all upon them that believe, for there is no difference in Jew or Gentile. We are all seeking one thing in this new covenant, and that is to be a part of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now in Christ, he says in verse 21, it's kind of like a sigh of relief because God has done something for us where we do not have to find ourselves without Christ, but we can be in Christ. Now notice this, verse 22 says, even the righteousness of God not our righteousness. I want you to keep up with me on this because there, there's a, a definition of righteousness that you and I have pulled out and we try to use, but I'm going to show you it's a little bit different. This is the righteousness of God himself through the death of Jesus Christ. Now, the righteousness of God is not our behavior. Now, we think of our righteousness as a behavior, how we conduct ourselves, how we act, and the things that we do, which really brings us to uh, uh, this legalism that we live a good life and we make everybody think that we're okay 
and we make everybody think that we're a good Christian, but yet we don't uh, do the things that God has asked of us, and we don't do the things that God wants from us. We just kind of every once in a while show up and show everybody just how good we are just for being there. This is not about our behavior, folks. This is about our standing before God. Now listen to me, and I want you to get this, and if you have something you want to write, you can write this down. The righteousness of God is where we get our sense of worth. Our sense of worth. You see, in the righteousness of God, He says, I love you so much, you're worth dying for. And our sense of worth helps us to understand that God loves me and God wants me. And in Christ, we have a worth that says to us, I love you so much, I'm willing to die for you. But this worth that we have with God is not earned. It's not our behavior. It's not joining the church. It's not doing good things. It's not the baptism. It's not the Lord's Supper. It is Jesus Christ. And folks, I want you to know something. I may not be worth a dime down here in what I do, but I'm worth heaven to God. You see, this, this defines it. And what we need to understand is that, this, that every church in town would be filled if you understood that the gospel defines your worth. God loved you so much that he gave you everything that he had. And our sense of worth begins knowing that it is God that loves us so much. Now, in this life, we need acceptance. Don't you like knowing that uh, somebody loves you? And they love you all the time, unconditionally. Now, yesterday, I.B. and I spent the whole day together working on a project. And we got through about 4.35. And it took us till about 9.30, close to 10, before we decided we loved each other again. And I'm not real sure she's given in yet, but see, isn't it good to wake up and know somebody loves you? And you may be sitting there and saying, well, I don't have anybody. Yes, you do. And you know you do. Don't sit there and, and pull away from me when I'm telling you this, just so you can say, well, I don't have anybody that's loved. Yes, you do. And I want you to remember something. Remember this. When you get up, I love you. I may not be much, and that's fine, but I love you. And we like having somebody that loves us. We need that. We need somebody to be a part of us. We need that acceptance. Folks, God loved us so much that he gave his son to die, and we are acceptable in his sight. I am worth it. And that's what I have in Jesus Christ. Now, His worth, God's worth. Are you ready? God's worth is our worship of Him. Because you see, the word worship comes from the word worth-ship. That's what the word is, worth-ship. And we brought it down to worship. God 
is the one that we worship. His word is our worship of him. We come. We don't come to put on a show. You see, anybody, anybody can do things. And we can make people think that we're the most spiritual person that ever walked the face of the earth. But God does not look at your outside and what you're doing. He looks at your heart and wants to know, do you really mean what you say, what you're doing? He looks at the heart. He wants the heart to be his. He's worth it. And our worth compels us to worship the God who is worth it all. See, that's, that's what this righteousness of God is really all about. God offers his per, personal righteousness. He's perfect. You can't improve on it. And it's righteousness that is apart from the law. We didn't earn it. The prophets had the same worth in the things of God by faith. But when we are saved, we receive a personal uh, relationship with God. We believe him. And it is faith that reaches out and takes his hand and receives the gift of the righteousness of God. But there's a second thing I want you to see that we have in Christ and who we are in Christ. In Christ, I'm worth something. I'm worth something to him. He died for me. And I have his righteousness in me. Secondly, in Christ, we are justified freely by his grace, which brings us redemption. We have righteousness, we have redemption in Christ. Look at verse 23, very familiar. For all have sinned and come short of the glory, and, uh, glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See that phrase? In Christ, justified freely. Now Paul points out, and he makes a good point of it, for all have sinned. Now, when I sit down with, with especially a child, and they're wanting to accept Christ as their Savior, we go over this, this Roman road. And one of the things that, that we do right at the beginning, we talk about this verse. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then the question I ask is this. How many is all? And they'll look at me with a smile on their face. Because they get it. And they'll say, that's everybody. And then I look at them and I say, is that you? Yeah. Is that me? And then their eyes get big. Shall I call the preacher a sinner? Is that me? Yes. Is it mom? Is it dad? Is it this friend? Is that, is that, is that everyone? Yes. Now listen to me. There is not a person sitting in here or listening to us that has never sinned. We are sinners. We have that nature inside of us. It came from Adam and Eve. We're born like they are, and we are sinners. And Paul points that out. But because we are sinners, God has done something in Christ so that that sin does not condemn us. But the sin God is able to overcome because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then there's one other word in that 24th verse. If you see it, we're talking about the blood of Christ. But we are justified freely by His, what? Grace. Listen, folks. 
If you are in Christ, you have grace and mercy and goodness. And we'll talk all about all of that later. As sinners, we can't add something to this and say, okay, well, I'll join the church. No, we don't need you to join the church. We don't, we don't need you to, to go out and do all of these good things. We don't need you running to the baptistry and getting wet. And we don't need you drinking our juice. We need you to find Jesus as your Savior. You need to know Him. You need to receive Him. And that's what He says to us here. And we can't add these things because if we add those things to that, then we eliminate grace. We push it off to the side. It just doesn't count. It is only by God's grace. That we can be truly, holy, saved and be in Christ. Because it's what God has done. This is God gives to us that comes by grace through redemption in Christ. Redemption. What is redemption? Redemption is the result of Christ's expiatory death. Now I know you probably don't know that word. And I've spent a whole week learning it. His expiatory death. What does that mean? That means that Jesus willingly went to the cross and died to pay for our sin. And because he paid for our sin, then God, because the, the, the uh, price had been paid for that sin, we have redemption through him, which takes away the guilt of that sin from us because our sin is now judged in Christ. And that's what he's talking about here. Redemption in Christ is that he paid for our lives by his death on the cross. And God puts that, the, the sins on him. Now there were three hours on that cross that Jesus suffered that we will never ever understand. The last three hours of his life, he became sin and the sky went dark and you know why because nobody could watch that nobody knew what was going on now i'm not talking about writhing and pain and screaming and yelling and all of that he became sin and every sin your sin my sin the sin of all of this world for three long hours it bombarded him over and over 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 he had never experienced that. And Jesus hung there on that cross. And it just hit him again and again and again and again. And Jesus finally said, it's finished. It's finished. It's done. Sin has been paid for. And in Christ, what do we have in Christ? We are delivered from the power of sin. We don't have to give in to that power. We're still in the presence of sin. But we don't have to give in to that. It's been paid for. What do you have in Christ? I have victory over sin. You know why you sin? I'm going to make it just as plain as I can make it. You know why you sin? Because you want to. Because you want to. You don't have to. God opens the door for us. We have been redeemed. Redeemed. Had to be a price paid, but it wasn't paid to me and you. It wasn't paid to Jesus. It was paid. What Jesus did paid to God so that we could be forgiven 
of our sins. God's redemption in Christ brings deliverance, but it also brings forgiveness. Listen to what Paul said. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. Folks, I want you to know something, and I want to know if you can say it with me. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I am forgiven what I have in Christ. Forgiveness. I am forgiven. He's forgiven me. What am I doing for Christ? His redemption forgives us, which means that we're liberated from the guilt of that sin. And it doesn't bring doom to us at the judgment seat of Christ. Now that little phrase, in Christ, that little word, in, I-N, means a fixed position. It's fixed. Done. Now what does that mean? If I say we are in Christ, and Christ has paid for our sins, it very simply means this. If you are in Christ now, you will be in Christ forever. If you're not in Christ when you die, you will be separated from Him forever. Now which do you want? To be separated and suffer because we, did, we chose not to, to stand up and say, I need Christ. I want to be in Him. Or would you rather today say, I need to find Jesus. I want to be in Christ. We're sinners. He made that plain. But we have redemption. God has taken our sin and placed it upon his son Jesus which brings us to this verse 25 and 26 in Christ the price has been paid by the blood of Jesus 25 whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. See it again? In Jesus. And what is he talking about here? Now, every one of us look at that word propitiation. And let me tell you what that word means. It comes from a word in the Old Testament that means the mercy seat. You know, you know what I'm talking about, the mercy seat. There, there at the altar, there, there once a year, the high priest would go in. God dwelt at the mercy seat, sprinkled the blood there. And so what, what we're talking about here is the propitiation in that he, he, uh, he sacrificed for us because God shed his blood for us. Now, I read something. Ray Stedman uh, was talking about this, and he explained the differences from his perspective, and it, it made sense to me. The expiatory death of Christ that I mentioned a moment ago means that God paid the price on the cross but that's all he did now if you got hurt at work and you had to go home then they they would pay you up until the time things were better and then they would quit propitiation means that God meets you at the mercy seat and Christ has paid for our sin and not only did he pay for our sin, but he takes care of us for the rest of time. You see the difference? He paid for the sin, but now he carries it on 
We meet him at the mercy seat. That's where he dwells. And that's where we are to come. Through the shed blood of Jesus. That's the only way that the high priest could do it. Is with the shed blood. The cross was voluntary. There the blood was shed for the divine judgment against sin. Sin, my dear friend, is what hurt God. Sin is what we commit against God. And, and we, we batter and bruise against God those things that we do that he, He's not pleased with. Now God punishes us, or punishment comes to us through that sin, but only the death would satisfy God's forgiveness of that sin. So by the death of Christ, God shows His mercy of justifying grace, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. In Christ, we have remission of sin. But it means that God is passing over. It doesn't mean He just overlooks our sin because He doesn't. He doesn't overlook that sin. He doesn't abide in sin. He bears our sin in Christ. And He is the legal, formal, acquittal judge. And when we sin and we confess that sin, then we cry out and say, Oh God, forgive me, I have sinned. And Jesus steps before God and he says, Father, I have heard his prayer. He's asked for forgiveness and God acquits us. And no longer are we caught up in that sin and the guilt of that sin. And he pronounces us righteous. Righteous. Now, I know we've been through a lot here this morning, but I want you to hear these things that we've talked about. What do I have in Christ? I have righteousness, God's righteousness, which explains my worth before Him. Isn't that wonderful? <clears throat> in verse, in verse uh, 24, he says, I am justified. Now, we always like to explain that word as just as if I had not sinned. We stand before God. He justifies us through the blood of Jesus, by His blood. Then our sins are placed upon Christ. And though we are justified, we are redeemed. The price has been paid for us. And because the price has been paid, then God is able to acquit us of our sins through His Son, Jesus Christ. We had the eternal sacrifice for sin in Jesus Christ. But folks, we have to accept Him as the one who died on the cross who was buried in a, in a grave, and who rose again. Now, how can we? If you say, I'm in Christ, and we've just begun this, but if I'm in Christ, how can we just sporadically serve Him? Oh, I don't feel like it. I don't do that. I don't. How can we do that? Because you see, if we're in Christ, we ought to love Christ with everything we've got. Love Him. Share Him. Let Him be Lord. May we get out of the way. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And He is Lord. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord. Are you in Christ? Are you without Christ? It doesn't have to stay that way. I'm inviting you to come. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, to step out in faith and say, I want to be in Christ. I want to know him. I want to love him. And I want him to love me. Will you come this morning and say yes to him? Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You need Christ as your Savior. I want to be in Christ. Being in him starts with a step of faith. If you want to pray that prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart and save you, then I'm going to lead you in that prayer right now. And I want you to pray in faith, opening your heart, believing and praying this. Dear Father, I know I'm a lost sinner. I believe Jesus Christ died for me. I believe he rose again. By faith, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. Save me, Lord. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. You say, preachers, that all there is? That's all he asked of us. But it's not just so simple that we just kind of pass it off. He makes it simple so that you and I can understand it. And if you prayed that prayer, I want you to get up from where you are. I don't want you to come right now. I want you to make your way here. Nobody's looking. I want to talk to you. Because if you know Christ and you've never stepped out in faith to publicly profess that, Jesus said, if you don't profess me before men, I, I can't profess you before the Father because we don't know him. We're not in him. So would you come this morning? You want to pray that prayer and you just didn't do it? Come on down right now. We'll pray it together. You need a church home. Time to get busy. You need a church home by letter, by statement for baptism. I'll be here. We'll work it all out. You need to come right now. Whatever God is speaking to your heart, don't wait. It's time to be in Christ. Take a step and let's serve him. Father, in the name of Jesus, you've convicted our hearts. Now help us to step out in faith and say yes to you. Give us the boldness. Give us the victory. In Jesus' name. As we stand together and as we sing, I'll meet you here. I invite you to come right now. Right now, come, step out.